Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I think Ruth said it very well. It is uh, getting cold. It, it, you know, it, it is. It's cold, you know, and and and. You know, it is sometimes harder to get up in the morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but I always find that it's most difficult to uh, continue that gym routine in the middle of winter. And uh, does anybody actually have a gym membership? Yeah. And uh, well, that's like probably less than 50%. Okay, no, no worries. But, uh, but I always reckon it's harder to get up in the, in, in, on those cold mornings. Um, you know, and it's just because it's freezing, you don't want to get out of bed. And, you know, I've, I've felt that many times. But then it gets to summer and I look at my body and it's not summer ready. And, and did you know, I don't know if you know this, but this is, see, again, I think church should be practical. I'm helping this morning. Um, if you want to get summer ready, you do that now. Yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that means that in, in the most undesirable months when it's cold and when you don't like it, that's the time when you should be getting ready for summer and working off all those extra kilos that you may have put on over, uh, over that winter season. But, um, but I, 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 I often feel like this, and this does happen to me. And I have to find in summertime that I wish I could go back to my winter self and say, you know what, you need to work harder at this, all right, so that you are ready for summer. But I have felt like that so many times in my life. I was actually speaking to somebody about that earlier this week and I was telling them that I I remember in school in high school that I did not work very hard I had no sense of direction no purpose no understanding of what God wanted me to do but if I could go back to my uh, you know year seven year old self and uh, tell myself you know give myself um, you know uh, a good talking to I would do that I have you ever done that given yourself a good talking to have you ever looked at yourself directly in the mirror and said come on you listen to me you know have you ever done that Okay, it's just me, everybody, so that's fine. Um, they say confession is good for the soul, so I'm glad. It's just good. It feels good to get that out. So, so anyway, uh, you know, I would, I would go back and tell myself, you know, come on, work hard, because one day it'll all be worth it if you put in the energy and the effort now, you know? Have you, come on, like, let, let's face it, there has got to be a time when you would talk to your earlier self and say, come on, put in the energy and the effort now. It'll all be worth it one day if you work hard now. What about saving? What about saving? What about your bank account? It's like, save now, you know, save, work hard now and save everything you can now because it'll all be worth it one day. I think that uh, sometimes we just regret we didn't do stuff earlier on in our lives. And I, I genuinely believe this and I, and I have for a very long time. I think regret is one of the most horrible emotions you can experience. Just that feeling of regret. I, if you've ever said the sentence, I wish I had of. I, or how about this, everybody? I wish I never. Um, and, and, and I've had both of those, you know? I wish I did and I, I wish I didn't. And it's a horrible feeling, you know? And the reason why I say all of this is because I genuinely believe that everybody in this room today has a purpose in Christ. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that's fine. Uh, because believe it or not, you actually do have a purpose in Christ, that God does have a plan for your life. And the truth is, is that some of us, we know what it is and we're still discovering it. Some of us have no idea and we're trying to discover it, but everyone at some point, somewhere, uh, you gotta know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Now, the reason why I share all of that is to say, I wonder if there would be anyone that would get to the end of their life, whenever that be, and look back with regret and say, I, I wish I had have done things differently. 
You know, I, wish I, I wish I didn't make that decision. I wish I could have changed what I did. We get that opportunity now, you know? Like we don't have to wait till we get to the end to look back and say that we wish that we did it differently. Like we, we get that opportunity now. And I want to preach a message to you today called, It's Worth It. It's worth it. We're, we're in week five of a series that we've been doing on Samson. And um, I, I love the story of Samson. Samson is this incredibly gifted, strong, uh, anointed with muscles, you know, uh, and, and, and empowered to be able to lift heavy objects and kill people, you know. And, and so th- he, he's strong and he's mighty and he's powerful. And Samson's life, he, he, he had purpose and destiny on his life. The purpose of Samson's life was to free the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistine people that were ruling them. And, you know, Samson, his life did not get off to the best start. He probably felt the weight and the pressure being told as a kid when he grew up. You know, hey, Samson, you know, one day you're going to free us all. And it'll be okay one day, Samson, when you get your act together. And Samson, you know, when you really step up, you know, that's a lot of pressure for someone to feel. And I think there were so many times in Samson's life when he probably tried to escape that pressure. You know, if you read about the story about Samson's life, you would see that his first marriage did not go very well, you know? He married a woman who was actually the enemy. She was a Philistine. She wasn't supposed to, Samson wasn't supposed to marry her, but he did. And uh, his wife, their marriage got off to a bad start. She betrayed him immediately. And the moment that she betrayed him, the, the marriage was almost over and Samson got upset and walked off. And then after, you know, maybe a week or so, he decided that he was going to go back and make things right and only to find out that his wife had been given to his best mate. You guys are pretty quiet this morning. It's pretty bad, actually. You know, imagine if that was you. Imagine if that was your experience, you know. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you're waiting for more. Are you waiting for something to drop beyond this point? You know, like his wife got given to his best friend, everybody. That is terrible, you know. And, and, and so that's what happened to him. And, and that was his experience. And it did not go well. And, 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 and Samson got triggered. And, and, you know, a whole bunch of things happened. And it ended up with Samson killing a thousand people with the jaw of a donkey bone and, uh, or, or a donkey's jawbone, you know, and he, and he killed them with it. And then it goes on to say that Samson lived for 20 years ruling Israel or being a judge of Israel. And we know nothing about that. We know nothing about that. And I'm, I'm taking it that no news is good news, you know. Maybe they didn't report anything because nothing happened. But now we, we, we read the story And it just changes from chapter 15 to chapter 16. 20 years have passed. We are looking at an older, hopefully kind of wiser Samson. And uh, and we read this. I'm going to read to you out of Judges chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. So Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. I think we all know what that means. In verse 2, it says the Gazites were told, uh, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night. At the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of morning, and then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all. That's impressive. And he put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Old habits die hard, you know? Like I often say that if you don't deal with your past, your past will deal with you, yeah? 
If you don't deal with the, with the issues that are going on in your world, they have a way of coming back to you in your future. And it's really easy to try to pretend that things don't exist and maybe ignore some of the problems that have been in your life. And maybe you don't want to talk about it. Maybe you don't want to admit it. But if you don't deal with it, it maybe, maybe, and hopefully not, has a way of coming back and trying to get at you in your future. And I think this is exactly what's happening with Samson because Samson has gone down to a place called Gaza. And, and, and if you're not familiar with the territory, Gaza is deep, deep, deep inside of Philistine territory. And there he is just walking around by, by himself, I'm, I'm imagining, because uh, if you know, read how the story turned out, I don't think he was hanging out with a bunch of guys and said, guys, I'm just going to spend the night here, not with his you know, Israelite army or anything like that. No, he's, he's there and he's, he's deep inside Gaza, deep inside a territory that he's not supposed to be. He is crossing boundaries, like physically. Uh, literally crossing boundaries and leaving from where he is, which is, you know, in, in, in Israel. And he goes across the border into Philistine territory. Now, this is not the first time that Samson has done this. In fact, if you have been part of this series, you would see that Samson continually crosses the line. He continually crosses the border. And sometimes it's not just crossing the border that's the problem, but it's what you find in the territory that you're not supposed to be in. There's a reason why there's a border. There's a reason why there is a boundary. And if you continue to continually cross boundaries and territories uh, and, and borders in your life and places you know you're not supposed to go, one day you might find something when you are where you're not supposed to be and it will not help you. Now in this story, what does Samson find? Well, he, he finds a prostitute, you know, and he thinks, you know, I don't, I, this, this looks good to me. So he decides he's going to spend the night there. I don't know how to say it any other way, guys. So, so he decides that he's going to spend the night there. And, uh, and, and, you know, then you read the rest of the story and you realize that there is an ambush waiting for him. And I don't know if he knew the ambush was there. I don't know if he knew what was waiting for him. But I suggest that it is unusual, highly unusual, that anyone wakes up at midnight to lift up the gates to the city. Like, have you ever woken up at midnight and thought, going to go to the gym? No, you haven't. It's, un it's unusual, right? But I think that Samson probably knew, he maybe understood that there was an ambush that was there and was waiting for him. And he comes and he, and he lifts up the gates to the city and, 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 you know, lifts them up. And then he just sort of takes off with it. Now, this is impressive because Gaza is about 64 kilometers from Hebron. Now, he starts in Gaza deep in that territory. He starts there and he picks up the gates. Now, I did a little bit of research just because I thought it would be interesting. And they say really at a minimum, the gates and, and, and you know, the posts and everything and, and the crossbar, they said collectively that would have weighed anywhere between five to 10 tons. So now we're sort of moving out of the territory of like, hey, he's just a really strong guy and he's just really you know, strong. This, this, this is 100% supernatural because I think we could all agree this morning that, that that is just absolutely impossible unless the power and presence of God is with him and helps him to do that. And he picks it up. It's not just that he picked it up. It's that he carried it for such a long time. You know, for 64 kilometers. And, and just so you know, Hebron is, is hill territory. Like it's a mountainous region. So let's, let's go with the low end. 
Let's just say it's five tons. Carries five ton gates and doorposts, 64 kilometers up a mountain. That's remarkable. The fact, not just that he did it, but that he carried it all that way. I mean, he was committed, wasn't he? 64, you know, I've like 32 kilometers in, he's like, I'm only halfway. I'm going to get these things all the way. And why? I don't know. He's just, you know, this is what men do sometimes. You know, like he's just trying to, maybe he's just working off a bit of anger or blowing off a bit of steam. I, I don't know what it is, but he, but he carries it all that way. I'm wondering if I could get a little help here this morning. Can you just bring me two chairs? And I, I need someone. Is anybody feeling fit this morning? Is anybody feeling fit? Maybe Dale, you're in the front row. You're feeling fit. Come on, Dale, jump up here. Come on, everybody, put your hands together for Dale. Maybe we should just, yeah, that's right, that's right, fool. I'm, I'm just going to, yeah, just stack them, stack them for, for now, right? Now, just, all I want you to, and this is not hard, right? Just, I just want you to pick it up. Yeah, knees bent, correct lifting technique, right? Come on, hey, come on. That's awesome. You can put those down again. All right, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to split these. And it's like there were two, remember, there were two gates, you know, not just one. I want you to come stand in the middle, and I want you to just, you know, if you could grab one and, and, and just like, yeah, just lift them out. Like, just lift them out like that. Awesome. Isn't that impressive? Okay, that's good. Yeah, no, no. No, I didn't say you could put them down yet. So, so I just want you to hold them there. Now lift them right up. Yeah, and just, and just hold them there, right? So I'm just going to continue, but you just stay right there, Dale. Just stay right there. Now, Samson is, physic- Samson is physically very strong. I'm going to look back here so I can see you. Hey, those are, like, those are going down a little bit. Just come on, Dale. Come on, everybody. Give him a hand. Come on. Hey, no, you can't change your position. No, 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 no. Just go back to where you were, right? Yeah, now lift him out, right? Hold him there, right? Now, Samson is physically strong, but emotionally he's very weak, right? So he's got great, that's basically, you're putting them down. All right, just put, you know what? Just put him down. Just put him down. Everybody, put your hands together. Thank, thank you, Dale. You, yeah, you can take him with you if, you if you feel like you can lift them still. Um, he... Samson is physically strong, but emotionally he's tired. You know why? Because for 20 years, he's been a judge in Israel. And so sometimes you see that people are really easily, they're able to lift weight for a brief period of time. But sometimes when you have to carry something heavy, a long way, a long time, What seemed light in the beginning, what seemed possible when you started, becomes very difficult as you go. Have you ever started something that you thought was easy and then along the way you just realized how heavy it really was? Not to mention that Samson doesn't seem to be interested in sharing the load. I mean, he is completely isolated. Every time you read the story about Samson, he's always by himself. It's just, he is a one-man walking army. This is like 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger commando-style man walking around, a one-man walking army that can defeat everyone by himself. And, and, and I think that strength-wise, he was able to do it, but emotionally, I think that he's really struggling. Listen to what happens after this. It says, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Delilah. I nearly called this message, my, 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 Delilah. 
I actually, I actually started singing the song at church while I was writing the message. And I was going, my, 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 delay. So I'm singing it. And Ruth is looking at me like, she's like, what's, what's that? And I'm like, you know, come on. You know, like Tom Jones, my, 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 Delilah. And she's like, I've never, no. And I'm like, oh, you're too young. I said, hey, Charlene, you know my, 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 Delilah? She's like, nah, you're on your own. So it's like, does anybody know my, 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 Delilah? Have you heard that song? I, w- I actually thought, hey, maybe we could work some of the lyrics into this message. I read it. It's a horrible song. In the song, he literally goes to her door with a knife. He's like, you were laughing, but now I'm going to kill you. Like, that's what the song is about. I'm like, all right, well, we just won't do that. So it's going to be hard to work that in. So anyway, um, you know, here, here is this woman, Delilah, and he thinks that she's great. And Samson often does this. And so it says, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him that we may uh, bind him to humble him. And we will each, not once, but we will each give you uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, just to put that in context, uh, Jesus was sold for 30. So, verse 6 says, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Dot, dot, dot. Not that we're going to do that, Samson. It's just would be good to know how to do it. It would just be good to know. I think that honestly, sometimes the biggest battles you face are not the battles that happen on the outside, but the battles that happen on the inside. It's, it's you know, if you injure yourself, you know, you, you, you break a bone, it's going to heal. You know, you hurt yourself physically, you, you can often recover. But mentally, if you're fighting battles and you have issues going on in your head, those, you, you can be fighting those all the time. They can be relentless. You can be in a room full of people in church right now, this morning. You could be standing with your hands raised in worship, still fighting that battle that no one ever sees and that no one ever knows about. And the problem is it becomes like a weight. And carrying that kind of thing for a long time starts to make you tired. I look at the story about Samson dating Delilah. And there's no doubt about it. She's trouble. She's got trouble written all over her. And I read this and I think, Samson, you must have known this. You, you must have got it. How then is it that you would once again find yourself in a relationship with a woman that you know is probably not someone you're supposed to be connected to? I mean, his first marriage did not go well. And now here we are and there's this other woman and it kind of looks like already, even if you didn't know much, she's kind of interested just finding out how she could betray him. Not that she's going to, okay, but she's just kind of finding out how she might be able to betray him. Why would Samson date this woman? He's already done this. He's already made this mistake. Surely he hasn't forgotten. Surely Samson looks back over his life and sees, wait a minute. This is not the first time this kind of thing has happened to me. It's like it's happening all over again. And what's more is that this is 20 years later. And you look at it and you go, Samson is making the exact same mistake. And maybe that's true. He's getting connected to a woman that he should not be getting connected to. But to be honest, when I read the story, I think he's making the same mistake for a completely different reason. A totally different reason. His motivation here is totally different to the same one that happened 20 years earlier. 
See, when I read this, to put this really quite simply, I honestly just think that Samson is done. I think he's done. I think he's finished. I think he's burnt out. I think he's just hit burnout. You know what I mean when I say burnout? It's like burnout is when you've, you've given all you can give. It's like you can't do anymore. You're emotionally and physically tired. You're worn out. You've had so many battles and you're like, I can't do this anymore. I just want to give up. Did you know that most pastors, that they start early in their life? In fact, they say normally when a person becomes a teenager, right? Not necessarily my story, but when a person is a teenager, they often think maybe I'm going to go into ministry one day. And a lot of them do, and they, and, and they start early in life, and, and they have vision and focus and direction for their life. But did you know that 25% of, of pastors, generally speaking, right? But this comes from some good research. 25% have serious doubts about God, even while they're leading. Serious doubts about God. Half of pastors, 50% experience significant depression in their life. And it's just that weight that seemed maybe fun and exciting at the beginning, but maybe it's just a weight that you've been carrying for a little while. And it seemed light at the start, but now it just feels a little bit heavier. And, and so the easiest thing to do, what do you want to do if you want to get rid of the weight? Well, you quit, everybody. That's what you do. When you don't want to carry the weight of something anymore, you quit, you give up. And if you quit, then you don't have to carry it. And, and I wonder what happens to people when the sacrifice just becomes too much. When they say, that's it, I, I can't do it anymore. A huge and very high percentage of senior pastors will just quit after five years. Maybe because the weight became too much. Because the pressure was too heavy. Or they isolate themselves and they just continue to, to struggle through it. And it's no surprise, really. Because you, you, you'd have to be crazy not to think that what's happening here is a spiritual battle that's going on. That in the background of ministry, whether you're a pastor, full-time, volunteer, or your ministry is outside the church. You would have to be crazy to think that there is not a spiritual battle that is doing everything it can to prevent you from being successful in what you do. Come on, put it down. It's too heavy. You've been carrying it too long. They can do it without you. Your time has done. You, you, you've done it long enough. I've met people like this. I remember years ago, I met a couple, great couple, been in ministry a long time. I said, hey, why don't you guys think about running a small group? They're like, nah, been there, done that. I'm like, oh, you've done discipleship. Is that just over? Is it? Yeah, that, yeah, that season is over. What, the season of discipleship? Are you kidding me? Yeah, we're finished with that. Why? Ah, oh, we've already done that stuff, you know. I see the toll. And the pressure of people that maybe have just been carrying stuff for so long that they think, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Can you remember this? Do you remember the temptation of, you know what, I'm going to read it to you. The temptation of Jesus in the desert. This is what happens. Satan comes to him and says a whole heap of things to him. And this is kind of how it finishes. 
It says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain being Jesus and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. All the kingdoms of the world. Say all. All the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus says to him, be gone Satan for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You know, when I read that, I realized something about our enemy is that he would be willing to give the whole world to Jesus if he just doesn't fulfill his calling. He would be willing to offer Jesus absolutely everything. I will give you everything if you just don't keep going with this. If, if you quit now, Jesus, if you stop, you will live a life of blessing and, I, and the pressure will come off. And I will stop with all the pressure. And I will, t- I will remove my hand from, from trying to get at you. I, I, I'll do whatever it takes if you just quit. If you just stop right now. And, and you know the story, Jesus didn't quit. But how's Samson supposed to quit? Is Samson gonna, how do you quit anyway? How do you quit a calling? Because it's, it's not like you're employed. You know, it's not like there's a contract. You didn't sign anything. Callings normally come for you. So when they come for you and you say yes, it's like God is at trying to get a hold of you and get your attention. So how do you quit a calling? Well, I think there's a couple of ways that you can do it. Um, among those would not be sending God an email. Dear God. No, that's too impersonal. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the opportunity to serve in your kingdom. I've been grateful for the lessons that I have learned. However, the role that I presently have doesn't seem to be the role that we discussed in the beginning. And I have understood this to come with a lot more pressure than when we began this thing, than in the outset. So, Please receive this as my resignation faithfully. No, blessings, dot, dot, dot. Now, people pray like that. You can't send it. I mean, so no one's sending that email, okay? But sometimes people pray that prayer and they just send that on ahead to God. But, but sometimes people don't even send that because it, it, it's maybe sometimes it's hard to come to terms with the fact that the pressure is too much. And you know what I've seen when, when people don't handle pressure well? I think I see what Samson is really doing here. And you know what I see? I see sabotage. Have you seen people sabotage their own life and ministry? When the weight is too much and they say, I'm going to sabotage this by making decisions I know are wrong. Crossing boundaries and borders I know I shouldn't cross. And I'm going to do it. This is the way I sabotage my ministry because if I do this, God will not use me. If I do this, then, then and people find out the pressure of at least having to do my life and ministry, maybe that will be gone. And you read this in social media all the time. And if you haven't seen this, I promise you this is not a problem that belongs to Samson alone. I have read many, many stories 
about people in full-time paid ministry that sabotaged their own ministry as a way of trying to exit because they couldn't deal with the pressure anymore. And so they just sabotage it. You know what I think Samson's doing? I think he's quitting. I think he's never wanted this calling. I think he never asked for it in the first place. I think it was put upon him. I think he's felt the weight and pressure of ministry too many times. His parents saying, you're going to free us one day. And Samson, you've got to stand up for us. And you need to free our entire nation. And, and I think he, you know what Samson wants? I think he probably wants the quiet life. I think he wants to settle in. Why can't I just be married, have kids and enjoy my life and forget ministry? It's all too much hard work. I quit. I don't want it. And so he's hanging out with Delilah and Delilah says, and she starts asking him questions. So Samson, I'm not saying that I would betray you, but I'm just asking, how would one do that? Like if I wanted to, like if, if we wanted to make you like any ordinary man, how would I do that? This is like going on a first date and, and, and giving over your inheritance on your first date to, to this crazy woman. So, so now, you know, Samson goes to sleep. And if you know the story, he says, well, if you tie me with seven bowstrings, like, I'll become weak like any other man. So Samson goes to sleep and she gets seven bowstrings and she ties him up and she says, Samson, everyone's here. And he wakes up and he breaks them off, right? Now, here's the weird part. He breaks off the bowstrings and she's devastated. She says, Samson, you've betrayed me. You've betrayed me. Samson, I, you, if you really love me, then you tell me, right? Here's the weird part. Samson never says a thing to her. What he should have said is, stop trying to make me weak, devil woman. That's what he should have said. That's what he didn't say. He just says nothing. Where was the fight? Well, um, Delilah, why were you tying me with seven bowstrings? Oh, I just wanted to see if it would work, right? He's like, well, it's not, it didn't work. And she's like, well, you lied to me. And she's like, well, tell me what it really is. He goes, well, if you tie me with new ropes. And, and, and so he goes to sleep. She ties him with new ropes. Samson, Philistines are here. Samson gets up, breaks the ropes, right? And she's looking at him devastated. Samson! Samson! You lied to me. Yep. Where's the conversation where he says, you're trying to betray me. Still nothing, nothing. Okay, well, that didn't work, right? Then Samson gets close. If you weave seven locks of my hair and she pins them. Samson, the Philistines are here. Gets up, takes the pin out. <laughs> flicks his hair about, right? And he's, he's all strong again. And she looks at it and she's like, Samson, right? I'm like, Samson, if you're not learning by now, you're an idiot, okay? Like if you haven't figured out by now that she's trying to get you and set you up and destroy you, right? Then I don't know how to teach you this lesson because it would seem kind of obvious, but this is where we find ourselves. So, so here's what happens next in the story. It says in verse 15 of chapter 16, it says, And she went to him, How can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him, <laughs> hard with her words day after day. See, sometimes the weight becomes heavy. She pressed him day after day and urged him, 
His soul was vexed to death. Is that a little dramatic? Vexed to death, honestly? Because he's got a nagging. She's not even his wife. She's just this girl. He's sort of dating. And she's nagging him and he's vexed to death. It says in verse 17, And he told her all his heart and said to her, Razor had never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she went and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man, and had him come and shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength had left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And then after that, the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they put him in shackles, and they took him, and he became a slave to the very people that he was meant to stop. I've only ever had my head shaved once. You know, my mom, one time she decided she was going to cut my hair. But she's not gifted at this. And she had a razor and she shaved up one side and we're looking at it. I'm looking at the mirror. I'm like, it's kind of uneven. And she was like, I'll even it up on the other side. But she went a bit too far. So she's like, I'll just even it up on this side. So she shaved it up that side, right? The point is they eventually met in the middle. <laughs> and my head was shaved, right? And I thought, like, I remember that experience. Like, having your head shaved, right? How did Samson not know that his head was being shaved? I mean, sure, maybe they got a really sharp knife and they're cutting off the locks, you know, and so maybe he didn't feel it, right? But they would have had to really get in there and, and cut his hair. And, and like when, when, when it's that invasive, right, you feel it. You should know it. And I, and I read this story and I go, he must have known. He must have known. At least he definitely knew that she was going to shave his head. She was going to organize it somehow. He must have known this was going to happen. But remember, he was quitting. Because I think he's just had enough. I think it's a total fallacy that God will never give you anything that you can't handle. What a load of rubbish. God gives you stuff you can't handle all the time. And he, and he does it so that you rely on Him and so that you rely and lean on His strength so that you don't have to go it alone and so that you don't have to do it alone. God will constantly give you things that you can't handle. That's why in the New Testament, He said the presence of His Holy Spirit to come and help you do ministry because He knew that you wouldn't be able to do it on your own. God constantly gives us situations that we can't handle. And oftentimes when we're trying to handle it on our own, we just feel like quitting. And when I talk about handling it on our own, no, no one that I know, no one that I know really says, God, don't help me. They just do it practically. No one says it verbally, they just do it practically. They do it practically when 
They don't have a good relationship with God. They do it practically when they don't pray about their circumstances. They do it practically when they isolate themselves from God and other people. I've never seen somebody say, God, don't help me. I've only, verbally, I've only ever seen people do it practically. And my point is this, is that sometimes you've got to go up before you give up. You've got to go up and say, hey, I, I need help. I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm tired. I've been carrying this for a long time now. And I want things to go well, but I'm tired. And I feel like giving up. See, before you're done, you, you got to go to God. And it doesn't matter what it is. Sometimes people get married and they say, this is going to be the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life. And then they experience sometimes the weight or maybe the pressure or the arguments. And, 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 and you know, in the first year, everything was bliss. It was great. But after a while, maybe things did get heavier. And I'm not saying that that's the way that marriage is supposed to be. I'm saying that before you decide to quit, you should go to God. And you know, every, every time you feel like you're about to quit, you should go to God. Not just the first time, but every time. Every time. Every, every time you're about to give up, you should just go to God. Every time you're about to quit your ministry calling, you should just go to God. If God told you that you're meant to be studying in university and studying some degree, because one day He's going to use you in a specific field. Exams are hard and they're pressure, but before you quit, you should go to God again. And every time you feel like quitting, you should go to God again and again and again. Because whether you know it or not, your mind is doing a calculation and it's actually asking this question, is all this sacrifice even worth it? And in the background, there is the spiritual war that happens where the enemy says, it's not. So you should quit. They'll be fine without you. Your life will be better. Your, your spouse's life will be better if you divorce them. So set them free and divorce them. Rubbish like that. It's not even true. You know, just lies of the enemy. You know, quit now. Free yourself of, the, of, of, of any of the, the, the burdens and the, and the pressures and the, and the weight that you're experiencing. I wonder if Samson asked that same question. I wonder if he said after 20 years, am I even making a difference here? Seriously, am I even making a difference? He wouldn't be the only one to ask that. There'll be preachers and pastors the world over that before five years, they say, am I even making a difference? I get up here every week and I say the same stuff and I'm, I'm preaching and I'm, and I'm hoping people are gonna catch it, but am I even making a difference? I, I, I'm giving them, this is not a confession time, by the way, everybody, I'm just saying that. I'm giving them everything I've got and I feel like I've got nothing left. And, and, and in the background, there's an enemy saying, you should just quit. You could still do ministry and not do this. Don't feel the weight of it anymore. Don't feel the pressure of it anymore. Just quit right now. And that's why you can't be isolated. That's why you can't do stuff on your own. That's why you need people around you. There's a scripture that I love to read. This has become one of my favorite scriptures. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, sin that clings so closely. 
And let's run with endurance the race is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, for many years, people said, hey, do you reckon that people from heaven can look in and see us on planet Earth? For many years, I said, no, I don't think that's the way it works. Once you're up there, that's just it. And I think that, you know, when people walk through the gates, maybe that's when you see them, you know, and not really thinking too much about it. But this Scripture, this Scripture is so unique. It's the, it's the only Scripture like this in, in, in all of the Bible where it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And if you, if you do your research, the cloud of witnesses are the saints of old that have died and are looking in on this generation in its time. And it says the way that this is, this is written, it, it calls to mind the ancient Olympics where the grandstands, where people would sit in the grandstands and watch the sprints happen, watch them run as fast as they can. And it's written in such a way that people would see the saints of old, they're the clouds of witnesses that sit in the grandstands that cheer on the people that are still alive and say, it's worth it. It's worth it. That's the whole point that they sit there and they say, it is going to be difficult and there will be times of sacrifice and there will be weight and there will be pressure. But if you run your race, it'll be worth it. It says that Jesus, oh, come on, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, I would love for this not to happen. Is there any other way? And God said, there's no other way. And what does it say about this? It says that for the joy that was set before Him, there was the joy that was set before Him. And you know what it is. You know what it is. It was the joy that came with the sacrifice of His death on the cross, that when He would be hung to the cross, that there would be people the world over that would be forgiven of their sins. And people that were slaves of sins would become daughters and sons of the God Most High. That was the joy that was set before Him. So He did not enjoy the cross, but He endured it for the purpose for which He was created. And I'm telling you that you have been made on purpose and created with purpose. And there will be pressure in your life, spiritual pressure that will say, quit, give up, back off, walk away. It's not your season. It's not your time. This is it. Finish it now. Just don't have anything to do with it. I'm telling you, in spite of all of that, that it's worth it. Because some of you have been fighting mental health battles. And there's been a war in your mind that you should quit and give up and walk away and that's enough, right? And I'm telling you what's worth it. Some of you are tired just from the physical battles that you've been facing. You've been praying the same prayers over and over and you're still dealing with the same issues. And I'm saying, don't give up. Don't quit right now. Don't, don't, don't do that. Some of you are tempted that, you know what? I don't know if this marriage is worth it anymore. Don't give up on that yet. Some of you are tempted to just give up on ministry. I'm going to give this up. Am I even making a difference? And I'm saying that it's worth it. Some of you have thought at some point in your life, gosh, if 25% of all pastors can have serious doubts, then you can too. And there's been doubts in your faith. But before you give up on God, go to Him first. And don't quit. And don't walk away because God's got more for you. I promise you it's worth it. I'll promise you it's worth it.
And so the end of the story, he is Samson and he's now a slave to the people that he's meant to free. And it says that at the end, that he finds a, uh, one of the boys that was there and he says, help my hands find the central pillars to this building that we're in. Samson was being tormented. People were making fun of him. He's blind. They gouged his eyes out. Here is the mighty Samson and now he is a plaything for the Philistines. And his hands find the pillars. And he prays one more time. And I, I, love, I love this because even though Samson did everything he could to quit God, God never quit him. And even though it said his strength left him, remember he left him, it left Samson. Remember that God was always within whispering distance because he said, God, give me strength one more time. And he finds the pillars and God grants him strength one more time. And with the last bit of his life, he gave it everything he had and he pushed out those pillars. I kind of have this image in my mind of people that constantly give the, their lives in the Bible that look like this. You know? And here he is pushing it out. And it says that those two central pillars, if you read anything about ancient architecture, which you haven't probably, you push out those middle columns and the whole thing comes crashing down. And on that day, he killed 3,000 Philistines. They say he killed more. He defeated the enemy at his death. He killed more at his death than he ever did when he was alive. And it ushered in a new age and a new season for Israel. But Samson's life was spent. Don't get to the end of your life and wish that you spent it differently. Don't get to the end of your life and say, I wish I just had have given a little bit more. I wonder what things would have been like if I didn't quit or walk away. I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.